0: Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. It's Tuesday the 13th of August coming up. Daughter still hopes to solve mystery of mum's disappearance more than 20 years on.
1: She said she was having tea with some little old ladies um, the last time I spoke to her on the phone and um, she was in Tunbridge Wells and having a lovely time
0: exploring is what she said to me. Could eating less meat help tackle climate change?
2: What we're told and what we hear is that we as individuals need to decide to eat less meat and I think that's highly unfair on us as individuals. We need, we don't need individual change, we need system change.
0: The Kent sites making it onto a new Lonely Planet guide.
3: I think once again the more popular it still keeps getting year on year, week on week almost. Um, we've got to have a bigger push for More sustainable transport, encourage people to use public transport and things like that.
0: Kent Online News. Our top story today is all about the ongoing mystery of a mum's disappearance more than 20 years ago. Marian Barter left her family in Australia in 1997, telling them she was going on holiday to England for a year. She's known to have visited Tunbridge and stay in Tunbridge Wells. But after that, she vanished. Her daughter, Sally Layden, has been speaking to us on Skype about their ongoing quest to find out what happened.
1: So my mum went on a um, year-long holiday to the UK in 1997 and the first contact we had with her was um, a letter that was uh, stamped at Kent, In the UK, Um, it was quite a lengthy letter. It had about nine pages to it from the hotel that she had stayed in um, in Tokyo, Uh, and yeah, so that kind of was the first point of call we had. She told us that she was in Tunbridge Wells, and um, yeah, preceding postcards from her sort of sent us through. Alphaston and down to Brighton. I actually contacted Kent Lease quite early on. Um, Obviously, she's been missing for 20 years and it's been quite a lengthy journey. Um, Her passport did come back into Australia under a different name on the 2nd of August in 1997. So for us, we weren't 100% sure if it was her using her passport or if somebody else had used her passport. Um, But um, that happened in 1997 and I contacted Kent Police to see if we could do some sort of report over there, but I was told that that had to come through, um, that that unfortunately had to come through Queensland and New South Wales Police here in Australia. And um, unfortunately they weren't happy to uh, uh, do much with Mum's case um, at the time, so um, it became a bit of a problem for me in trying to gain access and information to that area in the UK until recently when we flew over there and retraced mum's steps. You know, I guess if we could put it out there to that in, that area, even she stayed in a hotel there. She said she was having tea with some little old ladies um, the last time I spoke to her on the phone. And um, she was in Tunbridge Wells and having a lovely time exploring is what she said to me. So um, I firmly believe that there may be people out there that know who she was or bumped into or had a chat with her she obviously she did say in her letter to me that she was aghast at how many people knew that she was Australian um based on her accent and I think she sort of tongue-in-cheek said do I really sound that bad because she always felt that she liked to speak quite well and proper um and uh, people were recognizing that she was an Aussie from her accent so I guess someone might remember something you know um that was the last known place um that we've ever i'd ever spoken to her and i was the last person to speak to her that i'm i'm aware of um known to me so
0: yeah if,
1: if I, you know anybody in the uk or in cumbridge wells could help me even Alfriston, she went down to there's a, there was a little shop there called sally's craft back in the day and she Sent me a postcard. Um, the lady in the shop there when we visited said uh, we had confirmation that this. she had put a sticker on the back of the card saying Sally's Craft and the lady said she would have had to specifically ask for that because she only put them on gift wrapping um, when she was doing gift wrapping. So the fact that she went the trouble of asking for that sticker to be put on the back that said Sally's Craft and obviously my name's Sally so it was quite, quite a nice um, Point that she was thinking of me and you know it obviously was a nice moment for her to go I should get a postcard from here for Sally um, and then we went down to Brighton as well so she definitely traveled a fair way down the coast um, I think the last postcard was sent from Hastings um, so definitely that whole coastal region if anyone had any information or if anyone remembered her um, that would definitely be the locations that we'd be looking at around in that Agent.
0: Kent Online reports. An investigation is due to get underway after a fire broke out at a derelict hospital building in Folkestone. At its height, around 40 firefighters were tackling the flames at the Royal Victoria on Radnor Park Road last night. You can see pictures from the scene at kentonline.co.uk. A woman hurt in a crash in Broadstairs has died from her injuries. The 87-year-old was in one of three cars involved in the collision on Northwood Road on Saturday. A man arrested over what happened has been released while police investigate the number of people out of work in Kent has gone up again last month nearly 30,000 were claiming job seekers allowance or universal credit 825 more than in June across the country there are now 1.33 million people without a job on to climate change now, a topic that's been high on the agenda recently, with protests bringing parts of the capital to a standstill. Well here, nine out of the 13 local councils in Kent have now declared a climate emergency and bid to reduce carbon emissions. Ashford and Dover have rejected the idea, while Dartford and Sevenoaks are yet to decide. The KM Community Podcast has been speaking to Dr Charlie Gardner, a professor at the University of Kent. He's been chatting to Ollie about whether all of us eating less meat will also help tackle the problem.
2: Meat production, animal agriculture, and particularly um, industrial meat production, is a big contributor to climate change um, for a couple of reasons. One is that, that ruminants um, like cattle produce methane, and methane is a much, much more powerful um, greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. But the main reason is that eating meat is a vastly inefficient um, way of, of producing food. So, because of, of the inefficiencies of an animal converting the food it eats into flesh. So, um, the, generally, uh, you know, the, the figure given is, is of an order, order of magnitude so a ten there's a ten times reduction in in energy um, between the food that a, that a, a cow eats and the, the energy it will it will generate when it's eaten so you know, what that means is lands that would be um, the land required to produce enough meat for one person would have been able to produce enough plant food for ten people so it's hugely inefficient um, Having said that, I'm I'm slightly concerned with the way that this information is is present is used and presented because when we hear that we as a society needs to eat less meat, what we're to, what we're told and what we hear is that we as individuals need to decide to eat less meat, and I think that's highly unfair on us as individuals. We need we don't need individual change we need system change and you know it's really unfair on us to to be told on the one hand you need to eat less meat but on the other hand to go shopping and be presented with huge amounts of, of, of cheap meat and to walk the streets and be bombarded with advertisements for, for um, you know, burgers.
4: Yeah, um, but is, is the alternative feasible? Because in my mind, the alternative, if you're not gonna suggest that people need to make their own decisions on whether they do, do or don't eat meat, you are gonna be either restricting meat purchasing in supermarkets or restricting the advertising of meat. And then you've got that some people might say then that you've got a big brother mentality happening where you're stopping people from eating the things that they want to eat.
2: Well, it's a question of human survival. Local councils and and governments around the country have declared a state of climate emergency. And we need to think about that word emergency. It is an emergency. And in an emergency, you change your normal behaviour. And of course, it's not going to be um, you know, all all pleasant, um, but it, it needn't be, um, you know, horrific either. If we start making changes now, but I think you know, we need to acknowledge that we cannot carry on as normal. with With regards to meat, I think you know, the most important thing is to. Um, to look at the economics of it and change the economics so that the huge costs of producing meat are factored into the price. You know, we eat a lot of meat now because it is artificially cheap. It's hugely subsidized and there are what economists call externalities. So the costs of meat production are not factored into it. Um, you know, Producing meat emits a hell of a lot of carbon and that carbon, it's, you know, It's taking away the futures of our children and and grandchildren. So that's a huge social cost that everyone is paying for meat production. If there were um, taxes on um, emitting carbon or a a, a proper price on on carbon that reflects the damage it causes to society, then that would be reflected in the price of meat and it would become... um, more expensive we would treat it as a special thing as as we always have done and don't forget our you know our habit of, of eating meat every day and, and, and sometimes multiple times a day is a very new thing mm-hmm. you know my parents grew up having meat as a special treat perhaps once a week and that's how um, most of the world in, in non industrialized countries um, st- still still lives and yeah, I, I'm, I'm not saying we need to you know, cease eating all, all meat immediately, but we need to think about how we produce it and we need to go back to having it as as a special thing, rather than something we take for granted eating every meal. Kent Online reports.
0: Plans to expand a traveller's site in Kent have been given the go-ahead, despite some councillors saying they felt forced into the decision. The land on Roman Villa Road in Darrant Hill will now be able to have 11 pitches instead of the current six to help tackle a shortage of available space in the area. But some of the planning committee criticised the government's gypsy and traveller policy. The people who've been given permission to open a giant ad- Adventure Centre of Bluewater have insisted it won't become an amusement park. A zip Wire, Gravity Swing, Sky Trek obstacle course and rock climbing will open at the shopping centre after plans from Hang Loose Adventure were given the go-ahead. Some people living nearby had raised concerns about noise and traffic. Meantime, a new entertainment centre has opened at the site of an £850,000 leisure complex in Ashford. There'll be things like gigs, food markets and vintage clothes sales at the Coachworks near the International Station, but it'll only be there for five years when it's turned into part of the site's commercial quarter. More than a dozen Kent places and events have been ranked today among the top 500 things for travellers to do. 14 sites, including Margate's Shell Grotto and Canterbury Cathedral, have made it into Lonely Planet's ultimate United Kingdom travel list guide. A trip to the Oyster Festival in Whitstable makes it as one of the best experiences. Neil Baker is a local councillor in the town.
3: Well, as always, it's absolutely great for Whitstable to get um, all the recognition it does. It seems increasingly common which should never be sniffed at. Uh, We're very lucky, we have a lot of people who put in a lot of good work for the town. Um, Obviously in this instance we've got those who organise the Oyster Festival. But I think we should also remember the traders who of course put in so much year round um, to promote the town and also the residents who while they do enjoy the festival and the activities they they do sometimes have to put up with a little bit more traffic and crowds of people on the streets um, than they would normally
0: and um also so are you familiar with lonely planet guides yourself
3: yeah i mean they they're, they're very it's very impressive i mean, it, it, it is a prestigious publication to get into um, w- which is great um to get recognition of that level of something that people do read and do take into consideration when they choose to visit different places
0: and so do you think because it's you know such a reputable um publication do you think that will have a significant impact um like obviously tourism is already pretty you know good in Whitstable do you think it could make it even better well
3: um uh, it it can't be uh it it can't do it any bad of course but I I do of course worry sometimes that Whitstable is almost at saturation points in the key season so uh, um, especially as we have had this year lots of confusion about the roadworks coming down from the M2 and everything so uh, I think once again the more popular Whitstable keeps getting year on year week on week almost um, we've got to have a bigger push for more sustainable transport, encourage people to use public transport and things like that because, you know, going back to the old days of people all get piling in their cars and coming down, it, it just really isn't uh, something we need going forward because we're running out of space almost. <laughs> there's only so many people you can take in a town and there's only so many people who can shop in the shops and eat in the cafes at the same time. So yeah.
0: In terms of the Oyster Festival itself, what do you think makes it stand out so much um it's been sort of ranked so highly in the in the guide well, I
3: think it's because I mean the Oyster festival has been around in many different guises now for a good few years um, it 's changed it 's evolved um, as, as these things do but it's become something that happens at a you know broadly similar time every year it's great that it happens the first weekend after the schools break up. I think that 's a huge boost because it 's before people disappear on holiday and things and of course Whit and oysters is something that's gone back since Roman times thousands of years and uh, you know despite all the modern things that you get these days there is still that proper tradition to it um, dating back so far and I think people like that and I think especially when people want more and more to learn more about the history and heritage of their own country rather than you know, always flying around the world to different places. They like to see what's actually just down the road for them, or even on their own doorstep, and uh, learn about it that way.
0: Kent online sports. Adam Peaty has been at a swimming pool in Medway today to try and inspire the next generation of champions. The Olympic gold medalist and breaststroke world record holder has held a race clinic at Stroud Sports Centre. He was joined by fellow Olympian Tim Shuttleworth, youth Commonwealth champion Edward Baxter, and strength and conditioning coach Rob Norman. And Adam spoke. To to kent online from the event
4: so the second day this we're doing five days uh, 100 kids a day uh, across the country and we're just trying to inspire as many people as we can and obviously you know, the staple is on that they're going to have fun uh, that's almost a given with these kind of things we're not we are serious when we get to work but around the edges the kids should be smiling they are smiling and they're learning and uh, it's almost engaging the kids to you know, think very differently about sport you know for me when i was growing up i was too way too serious about it at their age their ages need to carry it through and then you know start to absolutely nail it when they're older
5: the key to this is you're here hands on deck in the pool with them teaching them hands on aren't you
4: yeah yeah sure yeah so yeah i've been in here for about <laughs> four hours now in about 35 degrees uh, which is good really because i'm always in the pool instead of out of it so i've got a new appreciation for my coach but yeah i mean it's yeah you've got to acclimatize but yeah, the kids are almost so nervous to kind of see you. You got to kind of break, break the ice with them, show them. You know, I am a normal person. I was just like them, and you know, I just worked extremely hard to get to where I am. That's a massive thing for you as a, as a youngster. You didn't really take
5: up swimming full time until you're about what, seventeen, eighteen? Is no, that no. Right? So yeah,
4: really, yeah, full full time
5: about 16 17 yeah. so it's almost like never too late for you to get into that and that's i suppose the message to get into if they love it that much it's never too late and they could they could be challenge challenging your records one yeah, day. yeah exactly well. exactly and when i was their
4: age i was 88 just in the east midlands alone so 88 in the east midlands not even the whole country i was probably like 400 or 500th life uh yeah it's an absolutely abysmal kind of place to be at that age but you know i just showed you it doesn't if really you matter if you're first or you're 500 or a thousandth place if you apply yourself and kind of listen to the people around you use the people around you to perform you know who knows what can happen
5: you mentioned who knows what can happen What's some of the secrets they're going to learn from you today it's mostly about the breaststroke but what can they what will they be learning exactly today
4: so we're doing a lot of visualisation so using the mind for good um, and obviously it's kind of closing your eyes imagining your Olympic Games and kind of preparing themselves for you know, the next few years of you know nationals and British Championships and stuff like that because they are very nerve wracking for the first time you go so it's almost trying to overcome that and visualize that before you even get there which you know r- you know really helps me during olympic games
5: there's a mental strength to swimming as well you do have to be really calm and, and calm your breathing as well can you explain that
4: yeah definitely so yeah i mean on the on the breaststroke really get to breathe every once uh, once every stroke but on the uh, really you know swimming is about relaxation it's kind of obviously you're really retired your arms are, you know killing your legs are killing your lungs are burning but in that, you've got to kind of be an equilibrium that you, you know what you're doing. There's a calm voice in your head saying, look, take this stroke faster, take this stroke slower, or attack it a little bit more. So, yeah, you've got to have that kind of calm voice in your head, really. Would it Last sort of
5: question for me. Would it be nice for you at one of your Adam PC race clinics for someone here from Strew
4: to be challenging your records one day breaking oh, yeah, them? I, mean, I think I've seen a few applicants uh, few for that spot. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously going to go back to a British person. You know, I wouldn't be British if i saying that. So, yeah, it'd be great to obviously continue that legacy until when I want to retire, retire and get, you know, one of these kids here. Imagine, you know, if they came on one of my clinics and then the next world champion or next Olympic champion, that would be you know, really something of special. Even if they don't beat your record? Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> That's it for today. But for more news throughout the day and overnight, don't forget, you can head to kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.